Hello, I'm Mark Bowsher. And I'm Corinne Pitfield. And welcome to Poking Books. A mystery book recommendation wrapped up in a podcast. Where I introduce Corrie to a mystery author. And I have to guess what their book is about based on three books which influenced said book. So Corrie, do you want to explain the rather strange circumstances <laughs> we're uh, recording in today? Yes, so uh, me and Mark are currently standing in Mark's front garden. So apologies if you hear a lot more background noise than usual. Uh, we're actually socially distancing and recording mm. this intro, aren't we? Yeah, and there's a little kid like going up and down the street on his scooter. <laughs> yeah, so on you his might scooter. hear that every now and then. <laughs> yeah, so when we recorded this episode back in March, Ellie Harris, our regular co-host, was super busy with the festival she works on. So Corrie stepped in while we had a number of authors waiting. Yes. Corrie, do you want to explain how we know each other? Yes, so I am actually uh, the local quiz master at a regular pub quiz in the area, and that is how I met Mark. He has been playing in the quiz for years, um, and we've become quite good friends. Yeah. I hope so anyway, Mark. (laughs) Well, yeah, that was an awkward silence. (laughs) (laughs) How did you find um, meeting Ned and trying to guess his book? Uh, it was really great, really, really great. I definitely, um, from listening to the podcast back, had no idea where I was going. But then in the end, you know, I think it turned out all right. And Ned is a great man. He was hilarious to talk to. OK, I think we'll <laughs> pop in now and meet Ned. Can't wait! <laughs> hello, Ned. You know my name. Oh, oh, oh no, hello. You know <laughs> Ned. Just tell me the classic question. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, I didn't have any breakfast this morning. I can tell you. I, <laughs> I can tell you from my experience of interviewing authors, I didn't have breakfast. Is that really common? Standard author's answer, like, we're all penniless authors, don't have money for food. What are you talking well, about? Yeah, and this wouldn't be giving anything away, but authoring is not how I make money because authoring is a dreadful way to make money so I mostly didn't have breakfast because we saw we started doing the fasting that 800 fasting okay and the easiest way is to just not have breakfast and then you fasted for like 12 hours without even because you were asleep Ah, that's wow. true. Easy. When do you and, have your first bit of food then? Well, often at lunchtime, but it's not even like it's just become a habit. Like I wasn't even trying this morning. I've, <laughs> I just forget. And it's funny because I used to have the worst hanger ever. And if I didn't have breakfast, then the world would come to an end. It's amazing that whole bits of Bermondsey wow. haven't been burnt down. But I discovered that when you do it deliberately, it, it goes away. Ah, so and now you're mellow. I'm, well, then politics <laughs> happened. So, like, I was there was a brief period of mellowness, but and now, then politics, yeah, just as ang- just angry as ever. Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Ned, I believe you've collected some wonderful facts for us. I have collected some facts. Okay, so my dad was a historian, and I used to help him with his research from when I was really little at the public record office, which is what grown-up people call a national archive. Okay. And I used to help him with his research. And my next fact is that I have degrees in philosophy psychology and advanced theatre practice and I'm just going to tell you that they have absolutely no bearing on what I do <laughs> except no, it's just none except maybe a sort of bit of academiciness but yeah okay <laughs> so that was just not okay. a great fact but yeah there you go philosophy psychology and theatre practice okay I'm logging these yeah. there, there, there yeah. I was going to say like whoa it could go all different ways yeah, that's what I was thinking <laughs> um, but, no. but no that complete roadblock on that one yes <laughs> Okay, oh, and your third and, fact. Uh, another fact. Um, what's that? Oh, I used to run a stall at Borough Market. Okay. Am I allowed to know any more detail about what was on the stall? Oh. Well, how does it work? I mean, I is this like animal, so. vegetable, mineral? Can can she ask me questions, <laughs> or, or what's the deal? Um, I think I think we were just going to leave it at that fact. Ooh, now. Being harsh. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, that is. That. <laughs> It is. It is harsh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It is harsh. Harsh but fair. Harsh but fair. I mean, I'm I'm deciding it's harsh but fair myself. But yeah, great. Okay. Uh, initial thoughts are that whatever you have written has a lot of interesting facts within it, whether that's a fiction or a factual book. I feel like there's going to be a theme there. 
maybe you're that's true. teaching the reader. That's good. Oh, you don't give it away. Oh, sorry. Don't sorry, give it away. sorry. I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, poker, poker, right. <laughs> poker I'm face. the worst poker player in He's the universe. So bad. <laughs> Ned is definitely bad at poker. Okay. Yeah. All right, I'm going to theory still. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you mentioned that you used to work with your dad and then you mentioned you used to have a stall, I was thinking, you know, when you go to... Bromley or somewhere, and you hear people shouting on their fruit and vegetables. I was like, could that be a theme in there as well? <laughs> shouting facts from the stool. Uh, I'm going to go with. That is, <laughs> that, I don't think it really Some gives them anything away to say that I no. totally did that. Yeah, you did. Well, I was like, oh, I'm just, I knew you know, it. I'm always telling tell. people stuff. <laughs> okay. Well, the, fa- the facts were free, but then that would facts encourage them to yeah. purchase. Okay. His wares. Well, okay. Initial thoughts. I'm going to say you've written a fiction. Oh, that's full of facts. But that's oh, all yeah. I have as an idea right now. Yeah, <laughs> he's because he's so factual yeah. that it might be misleading to presume that it is a factual book. Yeah. yeah. No. Cool. Cool. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, Ned, could you give us your first book, please? My first book is um, it's called Consider the Fork by B. Wilson. Have you heard of that? I haven't. No. So read everything by B. Wilson. Okay. She's amazing. Uh, a consider the fork is about so it's a factual non-fiction yep and it's about history of food but it's kind of it's all through kitchen technology so she finds this way in through looking at kitchen technology of of talking about much wider thing and the technology is just like a it's like a lens for them to look at culture food culture okay it's a lovely book does she write a lot of similar books? Well, the books that I'm reading at the moment, I've, I'm, I've got two B. Wilsons on the go. Yeah. Uh, uh, amongst other books. <laughs> and they are about food, but they are more, I'd say they're more campaigning. So she wrote a book called The Way We Eat Now. Okay. No, no, sorry. She just wrote that. She wrote, the, the other one I was reading is First Bite, which is about how children learn to eat and about how children can learn problematic eating and, and how you could sort of help. Yeah. So I was sitting reading it on the train and I heard this woman saying to her son, you know, well, if you have your greens, then you can have, you know, a chocolate. And I was like, no, read this. <laughs> Did you and say this out loud? No, in my head, really loudly. And I was really trying to stop oh, no. myself. I've got no frontal lobes, so it's very hard to control my impulses. But, and the other book is The Way We Eat Now, which is amazing. And there's a lot to do with heavily processed food and how bad, how unhealthy that is. And how okay. there's this move towards... Yeah. Okay. So, so um, they're really interesting, and that's no, no, no. I can't say anything. <laughs> okay. Poker face. Okay. <laughs> Poker face. She's really inspiring to me in her clarity and in her research. And I'm not such a campaigner, but B is. You read it, you get super fired up. This the diff. Like, consider the fork doesn't feel like a campaigning book. It's like storytelling and super yeah. interesting facts. The other books, you're like. Arr, 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 like that. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, know, I wish you could see his reactions. <laughs> I wish everyone could see. I, I wish they could because, like, Ned's quite restrained in his yeah. actions, but there's there's rule. You can feel them. You can feel it, can't you? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was thinking just then I could go with the obvious one and just say you've written a factual book about food. Or, you know, that you've been describing. But I think I'm still... I'm looking at you, like, trying to get something out. I think, at the moment, I'm still going to stick with maybe it's a fictional story. But the influence from... um, So, like, the books that you're currently reading and about food, I feel like there could be a character in it that there's something to do with maybe a diet that's gone wrong or, like, a... I don't know, something food-related in this main character. Maybe they suffer from something food <laughs> they, they suffer from like food like a like a I can't remember the word for it or like bulimia or yeah, so an like eating a, disorder yeah like an eating disorder but maybe not that extreme but I feel like maybe I'm still going to go with fiction right now okay for all these facts so difficult all these facts being thrown at you yeah, I and know I is know. flying go it's away. really no, charming how sophisticated do you think my mind is <laughs> Oh my god, I really hope it's I really hope it's just like a pop up. But that book. could be a quadruple <laughs> bluff, couldn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You aren't giving anything away though, I'm a really? in the that's, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. My wife's gonna be most amused <laughs> when she hears that. 
So do you want another book then? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, why not? Let's let's go for it. So this so this is really hard because I'd have picked all his books, but Mark said one book. So I'm gonna say Masquerade by Terry Pratchett. Okay. As a book that has huge influence on me. Fiction book. Fiction, fiction okay. book. So um why why masquerade then? Well, I mean I love them all. Uh and what I love is I mean he's funny. And there's, but there's this sort of rhythm and cadence to the way he writes that I had to cleanse from my work because because it was so infectious to me. Um, funnily enough, is that like often just to wind people up when they say what are my influences, I say Douglas Adams, Terry Pratchett, and P.G. Woodhouse, and they're like, when you figure out what I do do, you'll be like, what? But uh, Masquerade, well, it's about the theatre, and I used to work in the theatre. Yeah. Um, I used to work backstage in the theatre and there's a lot of this is about like that sort of world and he just nails it. Um, And the vibe, and this is opera and I did theatre, not really opera, but the vibe of kind of just, it's all like when people go on about the show must go on. It's really true. It really has to. And and there's this constant, it's, I don't know, it's such an intense world. So even though it's a funny book, it really nails that. So it's just really true in in a way. Um, I like, I can't, so the lead, the sort of protagonist, the guy who buys the opera house, have you read it? Have you read no, any, I haven't have read, read it. Have you read any Terry Pratchett? Yeah, 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 but I haven't. I have, I've read a lot and I sort of, I've stopped myself. I got to a point where I was like, I'd read so many in a row and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm stopping. Yeah. Because I felt like I was going too far and I was like, okay, a couple, I can see similarities now and I don't want them to start blurring into each other. So I've, I've, I've stopped. I'm also determined, for whatever stupid reason, to try and read them in the order they were published. They sh- it's a good idea. Yeah. I totally would read. I don't understand why anyone wouldn't read someone's books in order because, like, and this might, this is, if you knew what I did for a living, but you'd <laughs> have to kind of, you'd have to know, you'd have to have done it a bit to get this, but it's quite obsessive. That's a clue, and, but it's yeah. really, really cryptic. It's quite cryptic. And, and so for me, like, things should be done in order. Yeah, and like the books don't necessarily. For some of them, it's good if you know what's happened. But I would always read them in order. And it like the first one, I read the first one, in the I don't know nineties or something when I was just an irritating, arrogant young man, and I was like, oh, this is rubbish, you know, this is just comic fantasy. It's rubbish. So I just put it down for years, and then I picked up one from slightly later, and I was like, oh my god, the man's a genius. Mm. He's he's. But yeah, so the cat, the lead, the guy who buys the opera house, his job is very connected to my job. But that doesn't help you because you haven't read it. No, no. <laughs> he's kind, you know. He's such a kind man, Terry Pratchett, and it really, to me, it really comes out, and I love that. That's got nothing to do with what I do in this. Okay. But I just like the kindness. He did a lot of collaborations as well. I think he was really sort of like, no, it's it's not just about doing it. On your own, you really make a like when he did um, Good Omens with um, uh, Neil Gaiman and um, was it Stephen Baxter? Was yeah, that the name of the author? What's that strange series about sort yeah. of infinite world? There's a lovely story that Neil Gaiman tells because like Terry Pratt seems such a nice man, and funnily enough, they're going to a radio show, and Terry said, "Let's walk." And Neil's like, really? Yeah, it'll be fine. And they got totally lost and really screwed up. We're super late for it. So late. And Neil discovered how angry Terry can really get, you know. And, and I love that, like, roundness to his character. Yeah. as anything and swearing, you know. That's funny. That's got nothing to do with this at all. I just love it. Terry Pratchett will often have, like, um, a parody of something. When he's, has this it's got Phantom of the Opera. Ah, yes. I it's definitely totally have. Phantom of the Opera, yeah. It's very, very clear. Cool. Okay, so but what what <laughs> okay. is it, what is generally maybe just just give us a quick summary of the plot so Corey yeah. knows. Well, 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 well. So <laughs> it's really hard not to tell you what this guy does, but so he made his money in another way. Okay, and um, and he buys the opera house. Because I think he's excited by the idea of him producing opera, but all the people actually work there, it's not so romantic for them. They're all like, you don't realise what this all is and how it all works, yeah. you know. And there's a ghost. And like no one ever sits in one particular chair. No, I'm mixing that up with Lords and Ladies, I think. But there's a ghost, okay. and there's some killing. So it's a murder mystery. 
so going to put you off track. There's nothing about this. That's the last thing I yeah. in my head. I know, like, okay. So it's a kind of murder mystery about who's doing the killings, and it's probably the Phantom of the Opera, the ghost. Okay. And um, the witches who live, I can't remember how they get recruited into it. One of them, dis- one of the young witch decides to leave because she's sick of being bossed around by the two old witches yeah. in this little country called Lanka. So she goes to town and ends up working in the opera, and it turns out that she can sing and literally throw her voice because she's a witch. Like, if I was to sing, and it would come out of your mouth. And okay. so they've got a really beautiful woman who's got a dreadful voice, and this woman is, like, quite large and conventionally unattractive. Yeah. Sorry. I get so excited when I talk about Terry. Uh, so what they do is she hides and sings the hot girl's part because the hot girl can't sing, yeah. you know, um, and it's all a joke about all that, and you know. So what happened? Yeah, and, and and then and then witchy girl starts realizing that there's something going on and starts investigating, and then the two older witches come too, okay. and all sorts of stuff happens. Mm. But is it? Do you feel like the influence is sort of more on your sort of style of writing? Definitely. Than, yeah. yeah. I mean, I wanted to be funny because I needed to tell people loads of stuff, and teach people, and I didn't ever want it to be boring for people. Obviously, that would be a really rubbish bit of writing, but I wanted... The humour is great for seducing people into learning, Yeah, maybe. Also, I just can't stop myself. I mean, I want to be funny. Like, I had to dial it down quite a lot because yeah. I had the urge to be funny. But, yeah, there's a, there's a particular way that he plays with words of sort of making up words out of real words and then stretching the meaning of them that I, that I really sort of nick from Terry, if I can okay. call him that, Sir Terry. Sir Terry. Okay, that's a good point to yeah. finish that book on. So, what what do you what do you gave a lot away there? Yeah. I mean, before you started talking about how his like um, you wanted to be funny, in my head I was like, there's definitely going to be some sort of comedy in this. Whatever you have written, there's going to be comedy in it. Um, I'm still sticking with fiction. It's a fictional story. I feel like the character in it. Maybe I'm going rogue. Started. In, at a young age, you know, he was obsessed with learning, shall we say, in school, really wanted to learn things, and he goes on. I don't know what he does now. I'm saying a he. I'm saying a he. Maybe mm. it's a she. Um, it's hard. I know you've written a fiction. That's confidence, but it's wow. not going to be it. No, I'm not saying I know. Right, fiction, comedy elements. I've just got no inkling as to, like, a genre. I know you've mentioned, like, Terry Pratchett influenced you, and there's lots of, like, killing and witches, but just not sure on a genre I think I think to be fair it sounds like this is a um, bit of a, an influence on Ned's writing style rather yeah. than the plot thing. Oh, yeah. so maybe yeah. I shouldn't have talked too much about it so, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah maybe the third book you talk about will give me more so the third book <laughs> is because again I had to pick one so it's foundation which is Peter Ackroyd's history of, of the British Isles well Britain I think actually more specifically okay um, so history, towering intellect, um, Peter Ackroyd. He wrote loads of great fiction as well that I just loved, but um, I love his history. And it's really readable, narrative history, really involving, and the whole story of Britain. So I love history anyway, and I like narrative history, you know, that's telling me a story. Sometimes you get history books and it's, you know, there's the quote, one damn thing after another, and it's kind of like that, and then this happened and this happened, and that's tedious to me. It's quite top down. I really like history that's people's history and I like knowing about how people ate and what they did and their light and the texture and colour of lives. But he's still although it's quite top down he a lot to do with, you know, what Henry did and that sort of thing or one of the Henrys. It still has that real kind of colour. It's almost like reading a novel but non fiction. So it's it's that it's very readable history and that I'm totally what's the word? I'm like totally sub- seduced by it and in it when I'm reading it I'm distracted from all of the horrible stuff that's going on now and I'm just you know in that world okay it's very compelling very readable that's what I like mm. oh my goodness <laughs> I've literally so many thoughts are going round in my head because I'm like oh, I was so sure it was a fiction I still I'm getting an inkling it's fiction but you should know the stuff that's going on in my head at one point I was thinking oh it sounds like it could be like the Hobbit you know <laughs> but I don't know where that came from Okay, so you do I have to make di- like a final... You can change direction if you want as well, or you can stick with mm. your guns. Well, when you were talking just then, and you've mentioned history quite a lot, um, 
I was thinking, could it be a fictional book? And basically the main character starts off, but they've aged, so they may be very elderly and they're reflecting upon a lifetime of travel and learning and everything they've learned. I'm probably going rogue. I can't get anything from your facial expression. That's the first time anyone's ever said that. <laughs> it's interesting here, you know, what what it's interesting what you do get right. But I'm not gonna tell you what it is yet. What 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 you're getting right, but it is really interesting what you do get right. Okay. Or what I'm interested in, you know. So just give us a quick summary, Corey. Okay. So this okay. is uh, you're gonna stick with fictional. Okay, I'm gonna stick with fictional. I don't know why, I'm just getting an inkling that this is all be... a trap. So many facts. I don't know that because you've mentioned so many non-fiction books that have inspired you, but I'm just I'm gonna go with fiction. And I was trying to think of a genre, but I think it's more about your writing style. But maybe I'm gonna say fantasy, but only a smidge of fantasy. I'll go with that. Just because when you were talking about um, the history of things and how you like to learn things and all the travel aspects. I don't know why The Hobbit kept popping into my head, but I was like, it could be the elderly character reflecting on their life and what they've learned. But I don't know where the story would go unless it's a series. A series? I'm too lazy to write a series. You're too lazy. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stick with a fictional book. So now the time has probably come. Should we, um, before, what? are you going to tell Chloe what, what it is? Um, I'm going to ask you to, to say it. Okay. Um, uh, weirdly, there is something. Was there something you wanted to add as part of the revelation then, or something? Well, no, I was thinking that. So the revelation is on its way now, isn't it? You know, yeah. that had I written a fictional book, I think that it would have been a, like what you described sounds like the kind of book I would have written because I love The Hobbit. Love it. My friends used to call me Hobbit because, well, they used to call me Frodo because I've got hairy toes. Okay. Like Hobbit. So yeah. you probably didn't want to. You can edit that out. Um, no, I like that. But Unless I also, you want us to. No, no, I don't mind. You know, it's just totally fine. I'm, I'm at peace with my hairy toes. <laughs> um, my, my agent's like, oh god, Ned. Uh, but also, I love those sort of elegiac books where someone in their, you know, in their later years yeah. is kind of like it sounds like there's an Anthony Burgess book where he does that really beautifully, and William Boyd does one as well. So I kind of would do that. Okay, um, maybe you were just giving that off, and I was like, okay. yeah, no, I think that's really, it's really, and you know, the interest in history and the narrative and the storytelling. Yeah, I think you know, if you hadn't gone down the rabbit hole of, of fiction, then oh you, no, you'd be, um... you're giving it away. I tell you what, though, do you yeah. know who did give it away slightly? Yeah. Um, while we were waiting for you, Ned, I asked um, Corey. We're just we're just talking about anything. Yeah. And um. Could you could you just tell us about who was the rap star you were talking about? <laughs> Jaguar Skills. Jaguar Skills. Yeah. You had a conversation with Jaguar Skills. This is when you were doing was it journalistic stuff? When yeah. You were... Okay. This will be related. You won't believe this. Okay. Um, could you tell us um, before Ned does his revelation, like what Jaguar <laughs> Skills confided in you? That he thought about just giving it up and doing something else. What did he want to do? So he um, is a famous DJ and he wanted to um, give up being a DJ to um, own a cheese factory or like a cheese shop or do something cheese related. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I'm so That's really cool. <laughs> That's brilliant. This, this is what, this is the conversation I was having. That's so funny. Okay. You, how did you keep so, your poker face? Um, <laughs> I'd be sniggering. <laughs> so, um, Ned. Yes. Um, could you tell us your full name, yes. the name of your book, and if it isn't completely self-explanatory, what it's about? Oh, excellent! Great. So, my name is Ned Palmer, and I wrote a book called A Cheesemonger's History of the British Isles. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! Um, and basically, that is what it's about. Uh, my editor was on at me for about a year to check to have a proper title. Yeah. And what I did was a total kind of only child Leo thing, as I just ignored him until it was too late. <laughs> and it has to be, and it had to be called a cheesemonger's history of the British Isles. Yeah. So it is a way of telling the story of British and Irish <laughs> history through the medium of cheese. Oh my god! This sounds amazing. Um, it's not bad. I quite, I quite like it. Actually. I didn't think it's all that bad. I mean. Of anything I've ever done, like get on a degree or whatever, this yeah. is the thing that I'm the least displeased with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes read bits of it and go, "It's not bad, man. It's all right." Um, and, and so the best thing. That, so what I do for a living is I talk about cheese. So I do cheese oh tasting events, God. and it is the most fun 
thing that you can possibly do. This sounds do. amazing. And it's really heartening to know that a famous rap artist would kind of like to be me. Yeah. Because <laughs> because the best thing that's ever happened, apart from getting married and being born and having a book deal, yeah. is that I was doing Which a... happened in that order. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's how what I thought. Yeah, that's I got I married yeah. first, yeah. Then um, you were reborn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really poor historian. Um, so I was doing a tasting and someone said, how did you get into this? You know, And I said, well, you know, when you're six, you don't think you're going to be a cheesemonger. I wanted to be a Marine. And this guy burst out laughing. And later on, his wife came up and said, my husband is a Royal Marine commando, but now he wants to be a cheesemonger. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm the hardest guy in the universe. The Marine wants to be me. You can see why. Because, you know, with cheesemonger, you don't get shot at. There's no yeah, early... No, well, it's quite as early starts. But, you know, actually, there is heavy lifting and outdoor work. But you don't get shot at. It's a safe at. life. It's fairly safe. Yeah. I did see a guy drop a parmesan on his fingers once. And it's they weigh 35 <laughs> kilos. And he was very upset. Yeah, I can imagine. About it. And I've had cheese-related injuries. Can you please elaborate on one of your cheese-related injuries? <laughs> Big, heavy bits of cheese falling on you. Oh, It's quite painful. What's the heaviest cheese that's fallen on you? Well, thank God. I mean, I'm not, it hasn't fallen. The heaviest <laughs> cheese I've ever lifted is a 45-kilo Beaufort. And I've turned a few of them, because you have to turn them, because they get sticky bottoms. So oh you flip God. them. And flipping 45-kilo cheeses, a lot of them, is quite, is quite something. Uh, my friend on his first day, he was carrying a Lancashire down the stairs. Yeah. And they weighed 24 kilos. And he fell because the stairs are slippery. There's water everywhere. And it, and he's he's such a dick that he saved the cheese, not himself. So he landed on his coccyx really hard, but he's still holding the cheese up. And they hired him straight away. All right, you, yeah, you can come back. Oh, my God. So, what a way um, to prove yourself. I know, right? Yeah, save the cheese. Save the cheese first. This is amazing. So you yeah. just do this... Like every day. Well, I wish. Oh God, yeah. Oh no. I mean, it would be nice if I did it every day. I could. I could do some more jobs. Okay. But if you wanted to hire me to do a cheese tasting, that would be great. <laughs> but I do. So I talk about cheese, drink beer, and drink wine. Tell stories. Go and visit cheesemakers um, all around Britain and more recently in France. Because I visit them and make cheese with them. Because otherwise, you can't. Yeah. You know, talk about it. And every time I visit a cheesemaker, I, I realise everything I thought about that cheese is wrong. I've got a theory that cheese is fractal. Okay. In the proper sense of the word, that the more deeply you look into any aspect of cheese, the more there is to learn, the more detail there is. So it means that cheese is infinite and I will never stop. You must know learning. so much. I was thinking about this the other day. So people call, when I go on stage or whatever, they're yeah. like cheese expert. And I think, I don't know anything, you know. My friend Bill Oglethorpe, who's, he's like the Yoda to my Luke Skywalker of cheese. Okay. He taught me everything I yeah. know, you know, in the cellars, looking after cheese and that. Um, and if you ask him direct questions about, like, if you say, hey, Bill, is that cheese hard because of the acidity level in it? He goes, oh, I don't know. Because he doesn't know anything for certain. So if Bill doesn't know anything, like, how can I know anything? And I've only been doing it for 20 years. So I feel like, in a way, to myself, I feel like a novice. Yeah. But I have to realise that to someone who's not, I probably know a few things about cheese. This is amazing. Wow. Yeah. And also, um, it's kind of good that Corey is here doing this episode because um, regular host uh, Ellie is lactose intolerant. So, <laughs> well, yes. I have some good news about that. Ah. Humans invented cheesemaking so that they could digest milk. They invented, well, we discover the evidence of cheesemaking about 9,000 years ago. And 9,000 years ago, all adult humans were lactose intolerant. We, we became, as soon as we were weaned from, from the best, we started to lose the ability to drink milk. And this was annoying because they'd just domesticated goats and there was all this milk around. When you turn milk into cheese, you make it digestible for lactose intolerant people. There is no lactose in cheese or there's a trace element such that all lactose intolerant people can eat all forms of cheese. The only problem is that the symptoms of lactose intolerance are so unpleasant and antisocial, it's quite hard to get anyone to do the experiment. But um, that's what cheese is for. It's, it's, that's why I love cheese, because it's a sign of human ingenuity that people wow. figured out that's how to... If cheese is making someone sick, it isn't lactose intolerance. It is most likely an allergy to a certain protein in cow's milk. Because one thing people say to me is, I'm lactose intolerant, so I only eat sheep's milk. There's just as much lactose in sheep's milk. It's not that. If they're eating sheep's milk, it's not lactose intolerance. It's something else. 
The other thing is humans are not very good at doing randomized double-blind controlled experiments. So when you want to work out if you're allergic to something, what you need to do is is randomize samples, pick them blindfolded, have a yeah. control. And that way is how you would figure out what you were actually intolerant or allergic to. But people don't do that. You know, so what happens is they went out and had dodgy kebab and they go, lactose intolerant, I ate some cheese, made me sick. And it's actually the kebab. Scientific Neddy, they call me. I love it. I love it. That's my rant on lactose intolerance. If if you ask me anything about cheese, Brilliant. there could be a ten minute rant about it. Eat quite easily. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> Can I what? ask you a question? Yeah. What is your favourite? Oh cheese? wow. Can I have three? Oh, so I have okay. two. Yeah, yeah. He has, he has, okay, he has yeah. three books. So give him three. Yeah, oh, thank you. Have three cheeses. So and in order, so no, no, no. no, no don't make it. Oh, that's too cruel. It's too cruel. Because I've got it's not a an really easy choice. It's not like picking your favourite child. Yeah, that would be easy. <laughs> so that would be so easy. Oh, but, yeah. No, no, I don't. You see, <laughs> dead easy. <laughs> the quietest one. <laughs> um, so okay, you can have three in any order, then. excellent. Because there were last time anyone counted, there's two thousand individual named cheeses in oh, the world wow. that's wow. i think there's probably more now so to pick you know one yeah. would be painful and also so that i've got a whole plan for this so i'm on a desert island okay i get a regular delivery so it's not like well, just one big block and that's that okay. and some kind of refrigeration some kind of refrigeration although my cheeses are quite no they'd need ref- yeah especially on my nice warm desert be, island be left unattended on a desert island in a cave if there was a cave if there was a cave uh, in the island, you're allowed a cave, a cave? Yeah, okay, you yeah. can have one. and can i have two drinks yeah. Yeah. Good okay. See how I'm shaping the narrative? Uh-huh. <laughs> so I would have the reason I'm a cheesemonger is a cheese called Gorwith Kefili, okay. which is a proper unpasteurized handmade kefili that my mate Todd used to make on his farm in Llandui Brevi, where it was the only cheese in the village. Um, you have to watch Little Britain to get that. No, I know. Um, <laughs> I can hear Corey laughing. <laughs> <laughs> And no, so not only I love it, it is an amazing cheese. It wins awards all the time. If people have only ever had like industrial kefili, they'd think I'm mad to say that because your industrial kefili doesn't seem all that interesting, but it's a banger. And when I have my first bit of it ever on a Saturday morning in November in 2000, yeah, and I felt angry because I realised that all the cheese I'd ever had before in my life was rubbish. And Ooh. and within a short while, Todd said, I'll get you a job at Neil's Yard Dairy if you stop bothering me. because i just couldn't you know i was like why is that so good and what's that and what's the stuff on it and how does it look different and why you know so so that's my first cheese uh cheddar yeah now there are lots of different cheddars but cheddar's a cheese so i would say that for my monthly delivery like one month i could have Keen's cheddar and then the next month i could have montgomery's that's cheating well you didn't specify did you okay so because they're so different so this is another thing i love about cheese see how i can do anything you like yeah yeah so another thing i love is you take two cheddars keens and montgomery's they're made a couple of miles away from each other so it's the same soil you know basically the same breed of but it's the same breed of cow same method they taste totally different because of the style of the cheese maker the hands like the way they make it so keens like i think of cheese is like music because i'm also a jazz musician so um, I should have put that in, shouldn't that I? Would that would have been yeah. yeah. So I think of Keynes as like the woodwind section, and no, sorry, Monty's is the woodwind, and Keynes is the brass section. Okay. So they're that different. Okay. So I'll have my monthly supply of cheddar, and then uh, Stitchelton, which is raw milk Stilton style cheese. Oh. So it's made in the same county as Stilton. Yeah. The recipe is the same, except that they use raw milk, which is the old way to do it. Okay. But they're not allowed to call it Stilton because the Stilton Makers Association have the trademark and they said it has to be pasteurised. So it's like all but identical to Stilton. And I love it. And it tastes like it tastes like shreddies and like digestive biscuits <laughs> and like 70s okay, so hubba bubba bubblegum. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. And it's like texture like fondant icing. But the other reason I love Stitchelton is when I did a pitch for the book, I wrote a chapter about the 18th century. So each, what I did is I divided all of history into 10 chapters, well, all of British and Irish history into 10 chapters, starting in 4000 BC (laughs) and ending now. Um, And each chapter has a cheese and the cheese is like the signature of the chapter. You know, like in um, 
Sesame Street where yeah. you go, this show is brought to you by the letter A. Yeah. It's like the 18th century is brought to you by Stilton. Uh, so it. Stitchleton <laughs> was the cheese of that chapter and that chapter won me the pitch. Wow. It was chapter six. And But Joe Schneider, who made <laughs> Stitchleton, someone was saying to him the other day, what do you call your cheese? And he said, I call it chapter six, which is the most <laughs> wow. flattering thing anyone's wow. ever said, right? That's so that'll brilliant. be me, Gorth Gafili, a cheddar of my choice, yeah. Stitchleton, and a Colonel Bury's Export India Porter, which is the, one of the best partners for any cheese of all time. Okay. And a German white wine, which is a Riesling called Zeppelin. And it's called okay. Zeppelin because they used to serve it on the Zeppelin, which is just cool. Not but to also, do with Led Zeppelin. Not to do with Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Four hundred year old wine. I cannot believe that you didn't just say it's called Zeppelin because it goes down well. Dang, Mark! <laughs> do you want to come and do my tastings? I might have just retired. That's really, but kind of grim, but funny. Really grim. You'd really have to know the well, crowd that's... to tell that one, wouldn't you? And I don't know about Corey, but I definitely have images now of Ned playing jazz to cheese. <laughs> Bill, <laughs> Bill used to play his saxophone in the cellar. So, why so Bill, Bill Oglethorpe, yeah. who the Yoda to my Luke yeah. Skywalker, uh, and we used to look after cheese in a cellar in Covent Garden. And this is a job that the French have a title for, which is an affineur, a person who ripens cheese. And the British are so uncivilized that we have to borrow the French word. So Bill and I were in the cellar affineuring. Um, which is the French Gerund or whatever it is. I don't know. It's not really. Uh, and he would play a saxophone to the cheeses. And he said it's because the oh neighbours didn't God. like him playing it at home, so he'd play it in the cellar. But I think <laughs> I think he was playing Definitely it for the, for the cheese. Definitely. I used to feel that, I used to feel a sense of love because you could, you'd sort of think of all the bacteria and moulds working away, like making the cheeses, make, ripening them. And I used to think of the billions <laughs> of bacteria and mould and, you know, all working away and feel sense of love wow that's really um romantic kind yeah. of cheese it is, it's, it's um, a nice job quiet turning cheese you pat them you rub them sometimes you wash them yeah it's a lovely thing to do i am also going to do a cheese and jazz gig in derbyshire on this, in june for the derbyshire festival wow. so they've got a trio yeah. to play some jazz and I'm hopefully going to sit in and do a few tunes. So I want to do all blues, blue monk, and senior blues, okay. which are all blues. Yeah. So because there's blue cheeses. Yeah. yeah. I like to explain jokes to yeah, make yeah, sure yeah. everyone gets them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, I've got this theory that there's a connection between jazz chords and certain flavors in cheese. So what I want to do is play a jazz chord and then get everyone to eat a bit of the cheese that I think is connected ah, with it wow. uh, and see clever. if people feel it like I do because in, in my mind like this like oh that sounds like a flat fifth augmented ninth wow that, this, this, this I've is... never met anyone <laughs> like you and I love it that's, that's a huge compliment thank you very much this is, this is a whole new this is a whole new level of cheese yeah it's yeah. um yeah do you have any good cheese jokes Oh no, he does. Yeah, he does. well, I don't know. He hasn't gonna, said, but he does. He's got a repertoire. Do you ready. remember? Have you seen um, Roxanne or Cyrano de Bergerac? No. So Cyrano de Bergerac. It's all about a guy with a big nose. Yeah. Okay. And someone does this nose joke, and Cyrano just unlimbers all his nose jokes, and it's like he crushes the guy. And it's like, <laughs> why would you tell a guy with a big nose a nose joke? Yeah. So I was doing a tasting, and I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm not a very nice person. So this guy did a cheese joke. So I then just did all of them. And kind of battered him into submission with, oh, with right. cheese jokes. Yeah. It's like, why would you do cheese jokes with a cheesemonger? So my favourite, favourite, favourite cheese joke is what kind of cheese would you use to lure a bear out of the forest? Oh, I know this one. Come on, come bear. On. And you have to do it with the action. And they're like, <laughs> yeah. come on, like a really kind. Yeah. Oh. I also like uh, what kind of cheese would you use to hide a small horse? Uh. Mascarpone. Oh. <laughs> what? What He's did the vein cheese say when it looked in the mirror? Hello, me. I like that. Oh, yes, um, no, there was a there was an explosion in a French cheese factory last week. The police oh. are still cl- cleaning up debris. Oh my god! <laughs> He's on a roll now. He's going through the yeah. repertoire. I think, I, I think that's all I could think of. Right. I I would have a few more, but they're not good enough. Oh no! I think at some point some of us are going to have to go to sleep. So <laughs> see, I was trying to work out some sort of woke question on the the future of cheese or something mm. like that are you 
sort of optimistic in the age of sort of veganism and stuff like that? Well, am I optimistic? It's you know the thing about writing this book is that you realise that cheese has gone through tough times in Britain, um, and you know people there was the Black Death, uh, which actually in my mind gave rise to a whole new form of cheese. So in a way, the Black Death was a good thing unless you're a peasant. Uh, World War Two was a bad thing, particularly for cheese. Um, and and it, by the end of World War Two, we'd lost nearly all of our traditional cheese making. So whatever is happening, and I worry about what's going to happen with Brexit, and I worry about the whole kind of move to plant-based diets and what that does for people. But I have a lot of hope because it's super resilient. Um, yeah. the, the culture of cheese making, and I think people are ingenious. People want cheese. I think that. I mean, I could go on for hours about the plant-based thing, but for me, small mixed farming, which is what small-scale cheesemaking is, is a really elegant, sustainable way to farm. And a pure plant-based farming system would require a huge amount of fertiliser and be really destructive. So it's better to, if some of us are vegan, some of us eat cheese and we buy cheese from smaller producers, that, to me, is like a really good way to live your politics. I actually find a way to live my politics through eating cheese. <laughs> I love it. I love um, it. What was my? Oh, I had um, a lot of question and completely different topic. You said Terry Pratchett has a troubled relationship with cheese or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I've been noticing it more and more. I think he. I can't, I can't tell if he loves cheese or hates it. So in the witch books, there's a cheese called Horace, this blue cheese, and it's really badly behaved, yeah. and it eats the other cheeses, and everyone's frightened of it. And that's quite a weird... In in Masquerade, the guy who buys yeah. the opera house is a cheesemaker. Okay. And there's a bit about someone falling into a batch of, of sweet and nutty, but it being a really good batch of cheese. Like, yeah. the guy falls in and is cut to pieces with the cheese knives, and then it's like a really good batch. Oh, um, It's just like... It's like... Well, cheese is quite a challenging... You know, it can smell quite pungent, and it's basically off milk. So it's quite a diff- weird thing for people. People can kind of love, hate it. And I think Sir Terry yeah. kind of really loved it and was freaked out by it, which is kind of how I feel about it too. It's like a weird friend that you really love and they kind of do your head in. It's a bit like that. Okay, that's a nice analogy. Yeah. <laughs> Ned, we'd love you to read um, a little bit of Cheesemonger's History of the British Isles. I would love to. So this is from the chapter about the 18th century. And the cheese of the 18th century for me is Stilton, which is sort of super obvious to me because it's like a quintessentially English cheese that, you know, red-faced squires would eat and so on. So, but within the chapter on the 18th century is probably my favourite story from the whole book, which is the Great Cheese War of 1766. Okay. And <laughs> this, is what we're, this is what we're here for. Yeah, this is what, what we're here for. It's what I'm for. And in fact, I have to say, I did most of my research in the rare books and manuscripts room of the British Library, which is a very, very quiet room. So when I opened a book and at the head like, line of the chapter was The Great Cheese War of 1766, yeah. I actually yelled out loud in this very quiet room and I think probably gave heart attacks to several elderly <laughs> historians. So, yeah, so this is... The Great Cheese War of 1766, my favourite cheese story of all time. And and this is a bit from the chapter. So a thing to remember about the 18th century is that the British were at war for most of it, usually with the French, sometimes with other peoples around the world, like the Cherokee and the Maratha Empire of Empire, sometimes with the Irish and sometimes with each other. One of the lesser-known wars of this period was the Cheese War of 1766, which happened in and around Nottingham and adjacent counties in the October of that year. Like so many other conflicts, this fromage fracas had its origins partly in the Seven Years' War. This conflict, beginning in 1756 and ending in 1763, was a strong contender for the title Actual First World War, as it was fought in Europe, North Africa, Central America, West Africa, India and the Philippines. The main combatants were, as usual, Britain and France, but assisting on the British side were Prussia, Portugal and the Iroquois nation, and on the French side, the Holy Roman and Mughal empires. The war ended in such an embarrassingly comprehensive victory for the British and their allies that they actually felt obliged to give some territory back to the losing side. Even so, Britain ended the Seven Years' War with a great swathe of North America under its control, which meant new markets for British products. But the war also left the country heavily in debt. As a result, taxes and prices rose in Britain, and as ever, these burdens fell heaviest on the poor. 
Now, in Britain at the time, the poor were not to be messed with. If this was an epoch of wars, it was even more of an epoch of rioting. Rising prices were often a spark for these outbreaks. For example, Norwich was racked by riots over the price of mackerel for six days in 1740. I've asked my Norwich friends about this, and they've evinced no particular fondness for mackerel, so I don't know why that was. The Cheese War, too, was about money. It broke out in the annual Goose Fair in Nottingham on Thursday the 2nd of October 1766. Hostilities opened in the town square where a group of Lincolnshire cheese factors were attempting to pack up a load of cheeses they had just bought. Some local rude lads surrounded them and told them that they should not stir a cheese till the town was first served. A word of explanation here. These food-related disturbances were not just about high prices but also a reaction to the increase in national trade. Locals in a town with a market attached saw that food was being taken away from them to be sold to other towns and cities and feared this would cause shortages as well as higher prices. This was not an unusual event. It was quite common for groups of locals to overcome a cheesemonger, sell their cheese to the crowds at the old price and then give the cheesemongers the money. In Nottingham that day, however, things got swiftly out of hand as locals set up armed guards at the borders of the city to search wagons for cheese. The cheeses involved were large round wheels, probably something like Red Leicester, and local youth started trundling them off down the streets, knocking down the mayor in the mayhem after he came out to remonstrate. Unrest continued all night, with the mob becoming more outrageous. The next day, the local militia, infantry and cavalry were called out and shots were fired into the crowd. The only recorded injury was to a farmer called William Eggleston, who later died of his wounds. William was actually guarding his own cheese, and so is probably the only recorded incidence of death by cheese-related friendly fire. <laughs> the crowds in the city began to disperse, but all was not over. Some of the rioters went down to the river, where they found a boat laden with cheese trying to make its escape. The owner attempted to placate them by offering them money and promising to sell the cheese at a lower price, to which the ringleader replied, Damn his charity, we'll have the cheese for naught. A revolutionary slogan without the mass appeal of liberty or death, but pretty punchy nonetheless. The mob made off with the cheese, thus carrying out the first recorded act of Cheese River piracy. Though not the last, this actually happened a few times across Britain during the cheese rioting season. However, the most extreme action of the Cheese War of 1766 was yet to come. The mob had got wind of a warehouse full of cheese and decided to lay siege to it. It was defended by armed men who fired small shot and grape shot at the rioters and finally drove them off. Having done so, the owners of the warehouse got a posse together on horseback and pursued the mob into the nearby town of Donington. The local JP refused to grant the posse search warrants. Incensed, they seized some of the rioters they had identified as ringleaders or cheese thieves, took them to the gates of the JP's house and started breaking open his gates using many unbecoming expressions, according to the local paper. The townspeople didn't much like this attack on their local JP and joined with the rioters in assaulting the cheese factors and their posse, volleys of stones falling from the hills around them where women and children were arranged in ranks five or six deep. The posse was driven out of town, fled back to the warehouse, where they were once again besieged. This time the defenders were so panicked they were driven off, and the mob at last gained possession of the cheese. After this victory, the town church bells were rung, and a hogshead of beer broached for the people, which suggests the collusion of the local vicar and the innkeeper. The violence and cheese raiding went on for days, with many more warehouses and boats in the area being raided and pirated. There are accounts of the hijacking of armed cheese convoys moving between towns. Eventually the dragoons managed to restore order and arrests and trials began. Uh, the mob managed to rescue some of the accused from the buildings they were being held in, but many others had to go on the run. One source claims that 400 men fled into hiding. As to what happened to those who were caught and successfully tried, at least two were whipped and some may have been hanged. Records are not very forthcoming. I do know that plenty of people have been transported for stealing cheese over the years, though. Indeed, my friend Dave, an Australian cheesemaker, so we call him Aussie Dave, names his cheeses after men who were transported to his home country for this very reason. He makes quite a few different styles of cheese and hasn't run out of names yet. Here endeth the lesson. Wow. I love that. I love it. It's great. You can see why I yelled when I was like, fucking yeah. hell. <laughs> I want them to make a film of the Great Cheese War. Yeah, with, I always imagine like um, Kathy Burke as the ringleader of the rioters chucking <laughs> stones at them. Um, the reason that is here is because I just happened to have some time to kill in the London Review of Bookstore. 
And then I just saw it and I thought, she's makes history of the British art. Yeah, we have to have this book on here. How could you, how could you not? And the chances of somebody guessing. Um, but I liked you defiantly going down the fiction brilliant. route. I was really impressed. Despite all the facts. If I was no. ever insane enough to want to write a fiction book, which I, my wife is a author of fiction. Yeah. Writes loads of books and it looks really hard to me. I mean, writing a non-fiction was hard. But having to come up with a story de novo like that and characters would kill me. But if I was going to write a fictional book, it would be a slightly fantastical, Ooh. elegiac history told from the point of view of an old man looking back over his life. Oh, well, I'm so glad that, you nailed you. it. You nailed yeah. it. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> Corey worked out not the book that Ned had written, <laughs> but the book he is going to write. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. I think that is a good place to um, finish this cheesy podcast. Cool. So, brilliant. Um, Ned, thank you very much for coming on and talking about cheese. Thanks for having me, Mark. Cheers. (laughs) Thank you. So, how was that, Corrie? That was hilarious. I've never known anyone to have such a good repertoire of cheese jokes. It's, It's impressive, isn't it? It's great. He was hilarious. Um, I did also find it funny that you and him completely dismissed that Jackie McSkills is a DJ, yeah. not a, uh, what did you call him, a rap star? Yeah, well, when I was editing it, I realised I call him a rap star, Ned calls him a rap star. You very clear. <laughs> There's still a child going up and down our street, having an amazing time. Um, do you like cheese, Cory? I do like cheese. Um, I'm going through a phase at the moment where I'm obsessed with baby bells. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, the only time I've ever had them was in my packed lunchbox at school. But recently, can't stop eating them. Well, how about that? <laughs> and we should have asked Ned as a... Oh, my God, there's two children now. A, he's <laughs> he's collecting extra children <laughs> to go up and down the street on their scooters <laughs> screaming. I think... Ned, being an expert in sort of finely crafted cheese and stuff, you yeah. probably should have asked him his opinion on baby bells. I know, I know. Well, at the time when we recorded this, I wasn't going through an obsession with them. No. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I think that was fantastic, and I, I think we all want to spend some time on that island having some cheese. Oh, definitely with and Ned <laughs> and drinking beer with Ned. Yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to Poking Books with Corey Pitfield and Mark Bowsher. Follow at Poking Books on Instagram and Twitter. Or find us at facebook.com forward slash poking books. Listen and subscribe to Poking Books wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll be back with another mystery book recommendation wrapped up in a podcast very soon. <laughs>